Alright everybody, I am recording live and I'm doing that basically because I will be preaching tomorrow through Luke 2, 25-35 and it's Christmas Eve and we're going to be busy for the rest of the day so I thought I would record this as kind of a practice go through of my outline for my sermon tomorrow and I thought I might as well do it live so that others can hear it as well. Um, obviously this is going to be kind of rough. I'm speaking a bit at a distance from the microphone, so you may not be able to hear this very well. Um, basically, this is a test for myself to see if I can get this under 40 minutes or so, because I have a lot of material here. It is now 10.37, and, um, well, let me begin. I'm going to kind of do this in a semi-discussion, semi-sermonic format. So the text is Luke 2, verses 25 through 35. And the title of the message is Simeon's Thankfulness for the Child Jesus. And we don't really know a whole lot about Simeon, um, other than this account that's given to us here in Luke 2, and what Luke says about him, that he's a just and devout man. Um, but his anonymity, I think, is part of the point uh, that we can look at ourselves as uh, a Simeon who has thankfulness for the Christ child, has thankfulness for his uh, entrance into the world. And when we begin to look at Simeon's thankfulness for why he is thankful, that he understands that this is God incarnate, God in the flesh, the hope of Israel, the hope of the nations, and that salvation is now... Um, being accomplished, that the faith of uh, the Jewish people is now tangible in flesh and blood, that all the prophecies and promises are coming to fruition at the very moment of Christ's entrance into the world, and then, of course, in his whole life and ministry, and then death on the cross and subsequent resurrection, um, vindicating and showing his victory over the grave and sin and death, uh, Simeon understands all of this because he's a just and devout um, follower of God. And uh, that's what we're going to look at some today and see how we can relate that to our own lives. And th that's a very important thing for us to do. We uh, in America, in the United States, have become very sentimental about this time of the year, about Christmas time, and whether you're a Christian that chooses to uh, celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th, or whether you choose not to, um, the reality is that many Christians do, and that many Christians have sort of uh, become desensitized to, um, well, the whole mission of Christ, and, and the significance of the Magi bringing gifts to Jesus, the significance of the shepherds coming, the significance of who Christ is, and the time where we should be proclaiming most loudly who Christ is and what he has done, if we are going to partake uh, in the celebration of Christmas, is who Christ is and what he's done for us. But we have softened that, we have turned that into... Uh, manger scenes on Christmas cards with, you know, glowing faces and, and Jesus is sort of almost emanating from the manger, which is very clean and, and sanitary. 
and you know you almost think the the cows and the donkeys are are whistling and singing along uh and basically uh it's the furthest thing from what is supposed to be portrayed by the birth of Christ coming in a lowly estate coming in humility coming in a dirty feeding trough for an animal uh because there's no room in the end there's nothing beautiful about that all of that is frankly pitiful um yeah suffering the cold and having to give birth there do you think mary looked gorgeous <laughs> do you think that um that was a peaceful time for them at that very moment yes christ's birth brings peace to the earth absolutely but do you think at that very moment that was going through their minds i i i doubt that that was consistently what they were focused on at that point in time and that shows you the whole life that christ was about to live he came to earth to die to live sinlessly and then to die as if he were a sinner for his chosen people and that's pictured eloquently right there in the birth of Christ and yet we have completely turned that on its head and commercialized the birth of Christ and it's sad and and um i i in some ways we we need to really examine um our hearts on that and think more closely and hopefully looking at Simeon's account here will help us to do that uh, i just heard a story saw it on facebook just five minutes ago, as of the time of this recording, uh, or so, and um, there's some who were doing some translation, I believe it was in Africa, and uh, there were the translators um, of this certain tribe, um, you know, were concerned about translating this as a feeding trough that Jesus was born into, because, you know, it's such a lowly thing, and they've always translated it, um, I guess, with a different word that was a higher word, a word that seemed less, you know, dirty or less... Um, undignified, more dignified. Um, but I said, no, it needs to be as accurate as possible to what the Bible teaches. And so that was really um, impactful for them to see, wow, you know, he really did, um, as Philippians 2 says, the canonic hymn, that he uh, emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, came in the form of a servant to redeem us from the curse of sin. And so we need to see in this message today Christ as Lord, even as a child. That's what Simeon saw, that's what the Magi understood, that's what the shepherds saw, that's what Herod was afraid of. Um, all these things we must notice from the very beginning of Christ and his ministry. Sorry, I thought my... Um Child was about to walk through the door there, which would have been a bit of a distraction. Anyways, um, yes, Christ was sent to reveal the Father, to redeem man, and to be praised. He's glorified. He's worshipped. As a baby, he is receiving worship. But when we think of Jesus as a baby, we think of him almost as cute and cuddly and soft and precious, but not precious because he's the, the Lord and Redeemer and Savior and God in the flesh, but... Oh, he's just a little baby. Oh, he's so helpless. Oh, let's, you know, make nice cards and ornaments about him and, and sentimentalize all this. And um, we've stripped that away 
from the truth. And it's a shameful thing. And what we'll see in these verses, focusing in now, is this. Those who are God's children rest and rejoice in the redemption Christ is accomplishing. Those who are God's children rest and rejoice in the redemption Christ is accomplishing. I'll say it one more time. Those who are God's children, they rest and they rejoice in the redemption Christ is accomplishing. And that redemption is still ongoing. He is still redeeming his people, the earth, the world, his kingdom is growing. That's an ongoing, active thing. And then in verses 25 through the first part of 27, we're going to look at Simeon, how he is, what, how he responds, what he does. We see Simeon's patient devotion to God and his anointing by the Holy Spirit. Simeon's patient devotion to God and his anointing by the Holy Spirit. And then verses 27 through 32, Simeon's praise to the Father for the gift of the Christ child as the world's Savior. Simeon's praise to the Father for the gift of the Christ child as the world's Savior. And then finally, verses 33 through 35, Simeon's prophecy that the Christ child will reveal the hearts of the faithful and the faithless. Simeon's prophecy that the Christ child will reveal the hearts of the faithful and the faithless. Alrighty, so let's begin now reading our text together. And of course, I need to turn to the text. Here it is. Luke 2, verses 25 through 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He would see Christ before he saw death. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the Christ child, or excuse me, the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that uh, in preparing for this sermon tomorrow and recording this live, that it would be a blessing to whoever hears it. I can work out some kinks here, and um, at this time of the year, uh, we can meditate on who Christ really is and what he really has done for us. Help us to see that better as we examine Simeon's prophecy and his uh, just and devoted life waiting for the consolation of Israel. Passes in your name, in the name of your Son. Amen.
Okay. So, looking at verse 25 through 27, Simeon's patient devotion to God and his anointing by the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 tells us that Simeon was a man in Jerusalem, uh, presumably, of course, a Jewish person, and that he was just and devout. Um, this means that he was upright, uh, holy, he sought God, he kept the Old Testament law as he was called to do, as a follower of Yahweh, as a Jewish person, uh, in covenant with God. <clears throat> and he was also devout. He was waiting for the promised salvation of Israel, for the Messiah. Um, so there was a, a patient devotion to God. And he was waiting, and while he was waiting, he was living for God, faithfully and righteously. Now the Holy Spirit rested upon Simeon. So this man, though Luke doesn't call him such, this man must have been a prophet. Um, must have been a prophet because he gives a prophecy. He tells Mary and Joseph what's going to happen, what the child is going to be destined for. Now Mary and Joseph already pretty much know much of this, if not all of this, you could say, because in Luke 1, um, Gabriel appears to Mary and says that Christ is going to be uh, of the line of David, a son of David, the one that will sit upon his throne, and he'll sit upon his throne um, forever. And of course, that's a fulfillment of the prophecy found in Isaiah and other places in the Old Testament, that um, Christ's reign uh, will have no end, that he will be the promised seed that will sit on the throne of Israel uh, the throne of David and over Israel, all of his elect people forever. So, in this time, in these years, over the years, Simeon has remained faithful. And at some point, probably um, fairly recently, Simeon has received a prophecy, or, or I should say a revelation from God, from the Spirit, that he will be uh, alive when the Christ child is born. And more than that, that he will see with his own eyes that which he has probably talked to others about and told about the coming Christ child. If he's a just and devout man, he would have been um, stirring up one another, fellow Jewish believers, to good works, right? He would have been telling others about the coming of the Messiah. And uh, when you think about the Jewish dispersion that had taken place already at this point, where the Jewish people had been um, scattered and spread across the land, and, you know, where are these promises, where, you know, where is God and all this? We haven't heard from him in so long. It's been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, um, Simeon was faithful. Simeon said, we trust in the promises of God. We trust in his word. There will be the provided Messiah. And then Simeon gets to actually see him and promised by God that he'll see him. What a wonderful gift to see what uh, Matthew 13 and... Um, I believe it's Matthew 13 that says that other prophets, many other prophets, long to see the things that ultimately Christ's disciples got to see, and that Simeon got to see that the Christ child, God in the flesh, had come, that the redemption, the hope of Israel, the consolation, the peace, the glory of Israel had at last come, and that the people who had been much maligned and oppressed and sinful though they were, God will be faithful to his covenant promises. All of that, Simeon, is 
grasping and getting to behold here. And we see that in these first few verses together. He waits for the consolation of Israel. He waits for the promised Messiah who will bring comfort and peace to his people. And he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 26 tells us that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. That's the first part of verse 27 there. So obviously the Holy Spirit has in some fashion um, stirred up Simeon's spirit in some way communicated to Simeon that he needs to go to the temple and it would seem that Simeon understood that this would be to see the Christ child or at the very least he knew he ought to be there that this is where he was to go and the spirit made that um, clear to him there's no possibility that Simeon would have just brushed that aside as a silly you know thought that came from left field uh, the spirit revealed this to him and, continuing verse 27, it says, When the parents brought in the Christ child to do for him, the child Jesus, I, my mind is tracking down Christ child, I have to watch for that tomorrow. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. And just taking the, that little section there, there's a lot in that that we need to see. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 27 there, it says, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that refers to uh, the purification process that the Old Testament law required um, women, after giving birth, to uh, undergo. Of course, they were made unclean through childbirth, and after, uh, of course, eight days, the child would be circumcised, and then, basically, after 40 days of the child's birth, the woman would go through this purification process. But also, uh, they would go to uh, consecrate the firstborn male, which is what Jesus Christ, of course, was. So he was to be consecrated at the temple also. So they were being obedient. You see the faithfulness and justness of Mary and Joseph, which they were regarded as that um, in Luke 1 already as well. And so you see Simeon kind of in continuity with Mary and Joseph as being faithful and just uh, as Mary and Joseph were as well. Now, that's going on. Again, this is, you know, there's a, well, there's a census being taken. There's various things going on politically, um, behind the scenes as well. And um, for the sake of time, we won't look or talk too much about that right now. Uh, but suffice to say that Mary and Joseph were being faithful to their call as the people of God. They were being obedient to the law, just as Christ would be perfectly obedient. He had to be redeemed, Jesus Christ, with five shekels, according to the law of the Old Testament. Uh, the firstborn that opens the womb uh, was holy to the Lord, and so to, uh, well, I guess you could say, retain 
M, uh, he would be uh, paid for with five shekels, according to the weights of the temple. And this marks Jesus Christ out as a noteworthy human being in a privileged position. He's the firstborn to open the womb. He is holy to the Lord. Uh, now, again, this is a common thing, but it does, again, just show you that Christ as a man would be a significant human being. I mean, more significant than any other human being, in fact, right? The God-man. Uh, in that regard, a unique human being. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we see right here who he is, that he's going to do great things, that he is holy unto the Lord, that he is the Lord's anointed, that he is the Son of God and the Son of David, the Lord of the throne of David, forever and ever, his kingdom shall have no end. So this is the background that Mary had, uh, and Joseph had even before he was born. This is continuing, and now Simeon is going to reaffirm that and say that this, this is happening now. Verse 28, where Simeon takes up the child in his arms. And then in verse 29 it says, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He understands that now, perhaps even at that very moment, he's beginning to, to realize his health is going to fade away, he's going to die. And that's because there's a fulfillment of what God had promised to him. And the message that Simeon speaks to Mary and Joseph, and perhaps others who were in the temple court at this point, um, would have heard as well, Simeon de delivering this prophecy of who Christ is, uh, this would have been a further sign that the prophet's message was true, that he actually dies very quickly, very shortly after this prophecy, just as God had said would happen. That further validates the message that Simeon is giving. Again, John the Baptist is going to come, he's going to make straight the ways of the Lord, he's going to prepare the Jewish people, call them to repentance, get them ready for the ministry and the message of Christ, and uh, Simeon, in a way, is... is is doing that as well. Now, to the actual thankfulness that Simeon has here in point two, Simeon's praise to the Father for the gift of the Christ child as the world's Savior. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Again, Simeon has seen the salvation. He understands that this is salvation. He understands this is not just a mere baby who we're going to pinch his cheek and make cute cards of, but that he is the Lord and Savior, the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, and, and that they should fall on their faces before him because he's fully God, not just when he's baptized, not just when he begins his earthly ministry, um, which is, you know, at that point... <laughs> Um, but his whole life, he's fully gotten. He's worthy of our praise, even as a child. Simeon understood that. He understands this is bringing salvation, and that this is being seen before Jews and Gentiles, before the face of all peoples, that all will see this Christ child, and ultimately Christ will be the Savior um, of all nations. Sorry, drinking some coffee here. <clears throat> now, what are some applications of this? Well, um, 
We should be thankful. As Simeon was thankful, as Simeon lived devoutly before Christ came, so we should live devoutly while we await the second coming of Christ. Uh, we should live patiently in holy lives, but yet we should long for the return of Christ. Why? Well, in some ways, for the same reasons that Simeon longed for uh, the first coming of Christ. He wanted the consolation of Israel. We want the fullness of the consolation of Israel, right? We want the kingdom of God, now that it has come, to come to its fulfillment, to come to completion, to come uh, to fruition, and to reign over all the earth where every, every, every enemy of God is destroyed, is banished, is punished, that Satan, though he has been dealt the death blow, is finally dead and cast away into hell with all the workers of iniquity, that we would be freed from the pain of, of death and sin and the temptations of Satan, that we could be given our glorified bodies, be united with Christ, to see Him, behold Him face to face, to be with Him as Adam and Eve were in the garden once more, but now brought in through the shed blood of Christ with a deeper bond, a deeper love than, than could even be imagined. That's what we long for. Well, Simeon, in, I guess you could say, somewhat embryonic form, longed for the same thing. He didn't probably understand as much as we do with fuller revelation now, uh, exactly who the Messiah was going to be, and, and or at least exactly how he was going to accomplish salvation. But he knew that it was going to happen, and he trusted in the promises of God. We don't know how the future is going to lay, uh, play out, how God's plan is going to unfold. We don't know the ups and the downs, the dips and the valleys. We have amillennials and postmillennialists and premillennialists. We don't know how it's going to end, but we do know in the end, God is going to be victorious. We don't know when it will happen, when the final victory will be accomplished. He's victorious now, but we don't know when the final full consolation of Israel, of all the elect, of all the true children of Abraham, of everybody who has faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, when that will occur. But like Simeon, we live faithfully, we live for God, for his kingdom, for his purposes, we live devoutly, we long for his return, and when it comes, we will praise him for it. And when we see the growth of the kingdom now, we ought to praise him for it. Because that's what life is. That's what it's all about. Okay, well, let's now continue on. As we've seen, Simeon's patient devotion to God and his anointing by the Holy Spirit, he waited his long life um, to see the Son of God. And he was anointed by the Spirit to give this prophecy. He lived justly. Now we've seen in verses 27 to 32, Simeon's praise to the Father for the gift of the Christ child as the world Savior. We've seen that Simeon uh, doesn't forget to thank, thank the Father for his plan to send his son to die to redeem his people. He doesn't make light of it. He doesn't sentimentalize it. He doesn't turn it into um, something that it isn't. He sees the gravity of it, and he's overwhelmed by it, and he's overcome with thankful praise to the Father for it. And I don't know about you, but I don't live my life with that kind of praise. Even at Christmas time, it's, it's fleeting, it's few and far between. I am unthankful, and I would be willing to bet that all of us, that all of you are unthankful. Not 
as thankful as you should be for Christ. The whole Bible falls apart. Our whole hope in life falls apart if Christ does not come as man, as a child, and grows up as a man, and who's from womb to tomb identified with us. That he has to go through the growing pains, if you will. The whole life of his was a life lived for us in a low estate, in a painful estate, under the curse of sin, yet he remained sinless, even as a youth, all the way through until his death. All because of our sin. All for the glory of him does he come to the glory of his father. Simeon understood these things. He exalts God, and then he prophesies that the one who would bring salvation to Israel to reveal truth and goodness to all nations and be the crown jewel or the glory of Israel has entered the world. And that brings us to our final portion here that we're going to look at together. Verses 33, uh, well, actually, let me back up to verse 31 and 32, and then we'll look at verses 33 through 35. 31 and 32. And this honestly could be lumped into uh, Simeon's prophecy of what the Christ child would do as well. Uh, I might tweak that tomorrow a little bit. Um, it is praise to the Father, but it's also a praise and also prophesying of what Christ is going to do. They're somewhat blended together here. But verse 31, Christ's salvation has been and is prepared before the face of all peoples. He's a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And, and the word light here stands parallel with uh, in opposition to uh, salvation, right? So he is coming and he is light, he is salvation. And it is appropriate that he is referred to as light to the Gentiles because the Gentiles did not have the light, right? They did not have the Word of God. They did not have the Old Testament Scriptures. They did not have the, um, the, the prophets in their land, typically speaking, Jonah and others notwithstanding. Um, and so they did not have the oracles of God. They needed that. Christ brought that. We're reading it here today as Gentiles in light of that. And we should be very, of course, thankful for that. Another sweet of coffee there. Um, yes, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. Israel. So Christ brings revelation to the Gentiles. He reveals the Father to everyone, but in some ways um, it's, it's a first exposure, uh, a virgin exposure for the Gentiles to see God in the flesh, and he has come uh, ultimately for Jews and Gentiles. And why is he regarded as the glory of of the people of Israel. Why is he not regarded also as revelation to them? Well, because they have the Old Testament revelation. Is he a further and perfect revelation? Yes, the scriptures are perfect revelation as well, but he is now an incarnate revelation, right? John 1.14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt 
among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he is the glory of the Father. And because he's come particularly as a Jew, born under uh, Jewish, a Jewish family, the king of the Jews, the line of David, he is the glory of the Jews. Again, he is the fulfillment, the uh, point of all of the Old Testament prophecies. He is the hope, the consolation of Israel. And we have been grafted into Israel, right? We are of the promises of Father Abraham. And so there's not two people of God, Israelites, Jewish people, and then everybody else, Gentiles. No, there's one people of God. But historically, as part of God's redemptive plan, he chose to redeem first and to choose first the Israelites, the Jewish people. And Christ was born as a Jewish person. We are grafted into that. But as you know, Paul says, there's much advantage um, for the Jewish people to have the word of God. Christ becomes a Jew. That is their glory uh, forever and ever and ever and ever. The Jewish people, the Israelites, will be the ones whom God first covenanted with as a nation and from that brought uh, blessings to all the nations through the Jewish Messiah. And so, you know, however you want to hash what I just said there as far as a, a dispensational covenantal thing, um, go for it. <laughs> Um, I am thoroughly covenantal, um, and, uh, but I don't think replacement theology is the most helpful language. Um, Gentiles haven't replaced Jews. Gentiles, spiritually speaking, are Jews. Um, and uh, we are all one in Christ. And the Jews, of course, are not chosen because of anything good they've done, but because of God's grace and humility. And it's just part of his perfect unfolding plan. But Christ is... What the Old Testament looks forward to, what the New Testament looks back upon, and he is the glue, the point, the focus of all of redemptive history. The Father sent his Son into the world, even as a baby, to redeem the world, to make him the hero of all of human history. To the glory of the Father, to the praise of the Son, and his kingdom shall have no end. And so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be vessels of mercy, and praise him and glorify him for who he is and what he's done forever and ever. Now, under what I have for the final point, verses 33 through 35, basically, the focus is this. Simeon's prophecy that the Christ child will reveal the hearts of the faithful and the faithless. Simeon's prophecy that the Christ child will reveal the hearts of the faithful and the faithless. In verse 33, it says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Why are Joseph and Mary marveling here? Well, <laughs> um, there's different interpretations um, in my studies, uh, limited though they may be. Um, I think they are marveling simply because, not because they haven't heard this before, they have, not because they don't believe it to any extent, they do, uh, but because it's simply a marvelous thing. It's, it's something to marvel at, to have somebody prophesy and say these things, these wonderful, glorious things. I mean, I cannot imagine 
Um, if my wife and I uh, had a vision from the Lord, from an angel, that said, your child is going to be the redeemer of the earth and is going to be my son, and then you walk into the, the, the temple or the church, I guess, for today, and uh, an elderly man's there, and he says, you know, my eyes behold the glory of the Lord, of <laughs> the God-man, the one who will bring salvation to the earth. And this uh, historic moment in the fullness of time, Christ sent the Son to be born under the law to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. And this is happening right now. I mean, even though I already would have heard that, that would still be a marvelous, mind-blowing thing. And I think that's what's happening here. Um, it's, it's a wonder. They're, they're amazed at just how blessed they are and what uh, Christ is going to do. Their little child, their little 40-day-old baby is going to do, really, this baby is, is the Son of God? It's incredible. It really is incredible. Verse 34, there we see that Simon addresses Mary here in particular. And it's probably because Joseph um, uh, wasn't there for the crucifixion, was dead uh, prior to the time that Christ would be crucified. And only Mary would see the piercing of her son as an eyewitness. And thus, her soul, likewise, would be pierced by seeing... Um, her son hanging on the cross. And really, you know, you read in Luke and elsewhere that, that Mary treasures up words about her son in her heart. Um, other places in the Gospels we see Jesus, you know, he says, well, my mother, my father, my brothers who are those who do the will of God, of my father, and keep them, uh, keep the commandments, kind of, in a way, almost seeming to keep his family at arm's length, or at least, you know, when they wanted to see him, he said, you know, these are my true brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, um, perhaps indicating that Mary was not fully on board, of course, with what her son was doing, having a hard time accepting and embracing it. Uh, that notwithstanding, um, uh, her own soul is pierced as she sees her son's dying on the cross. She knows that he is to redeem um, the world, his people, and he's going to suffer throughout his life for that that uh, her soul likewise is pierced. Now, regarding the falling and rising in verse 34, um, there Simeon says, um, well, he blesses them, Mary, Joseph, says to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Well, the falling and the rising of many in Israel, remember, he's he's a stumbling block. Uh, he's... he's, he's an offense, um, and the Jews who want to uh, find salvation by their own efforts, their own works, who want a political revolutionary Christ figure who's going to overcome the uh, Roman regime, the Roman Empire, and uh, gain political uh, reign once more, um, are going to be disappointed because they see, or they fail to see, that their own hearts, their own sinfulness is the problem, and uh, they will be crushed by that rock, and brought up from the ashes, uh, and and given new hearts that love him, as Ezekiel uh, 36 speaks of, uh, or they will um, fall, and they will fall short, and they will not receive Christ, and they will be ultimately crushed by him uh, in judgment forever. So this is speaking that this child is going to grow up, he's going to um, cause many to be exalted, 
In Israel, those who are exalted will be the ones who humble themselves and come repentantly and faithfully to Christ for salvation and strive to live for him by his strength and by his grace. And those who are haughty and lifted up, the Pharisees, the Sadducees who denied the resurrection, uh, and others who had the high places and uh, were hypocritical, who cleansed the outside of the cup, but inside they were rotten and wicked, these uh, will not, in fact, inherit eternal life. And they'll be brought low. And so Simeon is, is speaking towards these things here. Um, if you look at Isaiah 28, 16, 8, 14, for the sake of time, we won't look at that right now, um, except that it, to say that it, it was quoted in 1 Peter 2, verses 6 and 8, um, that Christ will be a stumbling block to the proud, but give salvation to the contrite. Uh, you can look at that in your own time. He gives privileged positions to those who humble themselves, and those who are high and lifted up in their own sight will be brought low. Now, how is he for a sign which will be spoken against? Well, that's kind of in keeping with what we've been saying. Um, I think particularly, I struggled with this a bit, but I think particularly um, in my studies, uh, what, what this is speaking of is really Christ's whole life, but especially the sign of his resurrection. When you look in scripture, Luke eleven thirty. Christ says that he will be a sign like Jonah was a sign as he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Well, obviously Christ was in the grave uh, for three days, three nights, um, and then was once again exalted, resurrected. This showed that God was with him as God was with Jonah, that Christ's message was true, and he overcame the grave and he redeemed his people. Uh, and so there's a paralleling there that Christ himself makes of his own ministry. He says, you know, destroy this uh, temple in three days and I will raise it up again. And the Pharisees think he's talking about the physical building, brick and mortar building. He's saying, no, my body, I am the temple. This will be a sign to you. You destroy me and in three days I will be brought back. Um, holy, fully God, fully man. Uh, my body will be resurrected by the Father. So this resurrection in particular signifies the redemption he wrought for them. You think of the Gnostics, they reject Christ's humanity. Um, that, or at least an incipient form of that, was being dealt with even in, in Paul's day. Uh, Arians and others would, would question his deity or make him something, you know, in between God and man. He, he was a the highest firstborn of all creation, so he's a creature, but he's the highest creature. The Sadducees reject, deny that there is a resurrection. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, um, we of all men are the most to be pitied. Right? We have no hope apart from the resurrection. The resurrection is a sign that all that Christ said and did in life, he actually accomplished. He overcame sin and death and the devil. Well, Simeon is speaking to this in the Holy Spirit, prophesying towards these things um, already. And for what reason? Well, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This will reveal the hearts of sinful Israel and sinful man. As the Israelites cried, crucify him, crucify him. This will reveal, really this can be translated, the innermost thoughts of the heart. It will reveal the wickedness of man. The wicked act of crucifying Christ. 
Again, Mary will be crushed by this crucifixion of seeing her own son suffering and dying at the cross, but it will be a sign to the people that he is agonizing, that he is bearing the wrath of God for our sins. So, what do we make of this passage of Simeon, his life, his prophecies, of who Christ is? Well, I've been saying it throughout, but to summarize, you need to trust in and treasure Christ. Always. Not just December 25th, always. Not just on the Lord's Day, though especially every Lord's Day we should in particular meditate upon Him. But every day, be thankful for the life that you have, that it is in Christ, if you are a Christian. And if you do not, you do not know this life, if you've come here to worship, and uh, it's Christmas Day, and you were hoping for a Hallmark card, comfy uh, story of, of the cute baby Jesus, um, that's not reality. And churches who make that real, or try to present that as real, are lying, and they are wrong. And the truth of God quite possibly, is not even in them. And they have not been set free from their sinful uh, hearts. And they love the darkness rather than the light because they are not proclaiming the light of the world as he truly is. He was born to die. Why did he have to die? Because we deserve to die. Why do we deserve to die? Because we are sinners. We have trespassed against a high and holy and perfectly righteous God was so good and just and perfect that not one smidgen of sin can be in his presence. And we have way more than a smidgen. <laughs> and so all of our sin had to be washed away. It was such an offense that only Christ, the Son of God, could accomplish it. But Christ is so precious and powerful that his grace, his, his sacrifice runs deeper than our sin. And it does, in fact, wash every guilty stain away because our sins as believers, as Christians, as God's chosen people were placed on the Son. The wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son. Christ from the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, it is finished. And then he's risen from the grave and is exalted to the right hand of the Father on high, ruling and reigning over the nations with authority and power now until he comes again. And that message we live by and that message we proclaim and if churches aren't proclaiming that message, they're not true Christian churches. Because they've lost the glue of all reality. The message of Christ, of who He is and what He has done. So in that light, I pray that you would come to the light of Christ. Repent, confess your sins, turn to Him afresh, live for Him, pursue Him, love Him, view Him. Even from His birth, and His infancy and childhood, to His adulthood, His ministry, and His whole life as our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, study His Word, the whole of Scripture, study who He is, the Gospels, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all that speaks to Him, know Him, praise Him, as Simeon did in his life, devoutly following Him. He knew the Scriptures inside out. He knew this was the Messiah. He was teaching others the truth. He was longing for it. We long for Christ. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. That's what we want. He has set us free, and now we long for the fullness of our salvation at his second coming. 
In the meantime, live in his light as Simeon lived in the light of Christ. So must we live in the light of Christ. This world is wicked and dark. And I know tomorrow there's going to be uh, death threats made by Islamic terrorists and others. But we stand firm. We trust God. The Sovereign Lord will do what's right. They can take nothing from us, and their attempt at striking fear in our hearts should not lead us to fear, but to rejoice that we have a hope and a confidence that extends beyond pain and suffering and even the grave itself. So we live in that promise. We wait for Christ's second coming when all this wicked and evil will be utterly destroyed and wiped away from the earth. And we stand in the light of God without fear, without pain, without sorrow, forever and ever. And that whole ministry began when Christ came in the flesh in that animal feeding trough. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that this will help me work out some of the kinks uh, in the message to shorten it by a good solid 10 minutes or so. And um, I pray that we would rightly praise you for who you are, for what you've done, for your mercy and your grace and your love, and sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And for you, Lord Jesus, who came and died, we thank you. We praise you. And we long for your return. We long for peace on earth in fullness and totality forever and ever, where every tear is wiped away, where we struggle no more with sin, where there's nothing to fear, and we see your face, and we love you, and we worship at your feet, and learn at your feet, and celebrate with you forevermore. Amen.